Welcome to Questions from the Closet live event. We are so glad you're here. I'm Charlie Bird. And I'm Ben Shalati, and we are so thrilled that there were so many people that we had to open up the, the air walls to get more space. This is an incredible view. Yes, so we're so thrilled you're all here tonight, even after coming to gather for so long today. So, yeah. So we have some VIP guests here who are, uh, some guests who are here today who are previous guests on Questions from the Closet. Uh, I was gonna read all their names and tell you what episodes they're on, but in honor of time, we'll just have them stand up and wave. Yeah. And they all have name tags on. Feel free to say hello to them, chat with them after the event. Uh, there's gonna be a mingle after, so just get to know them, chat with them. They're, they're here to answer questions. So. To kick us off, I'll say that Ben and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we both helped plan the Gather Conference. However, there are some pretty big differences. For example, I helped a lot more. <laughs> I think Charlie came to five meetings, and I came to multitudes more than that. <laughs> I'd say like four and a half. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was, we put together just the greatest team, and I was busy working on some other stuff, Ben. Charlie had some things going on, and I had fewer things going on, so here we are. <laughs> all right, so we're going to start off with some questions that were all submitted uh, through the, the questions from the closet Instagram page. So, first one. Charlie, how has your church life changed since you and Ryan got married? If so, how are you handling the changes? Amazing. Well, I guess first I'll say that uh, I am married. Me and Ryan got married last month. That was really cute, thank you. And I'm uh, still single, you can clap for that as well. Thank you. By choice. So he's right over here. I was gonna say he's a lot more approachable than he looks, but then I realized that maybe he was only unapproachable to me the first time I met him, just because he made me so nervous. <laughs> um, but he, he's great, and yeah, um, our, our wedding was last month. It was really beautiful. And it's not a secret or anything, but we just, honestly, we haven't shared because we don't have all the photos back, and I want to make sure that I select the best ones. I need to see all my options. Um, but we're really happy. So the question was about, um, like, how... How has your church life changed? Church life changed. Um, honestly, so we've, we've moved into a new ward, and it's been really wonderful. We've been really accepted. And day-to-day, um, -day, nothing's really changed. I mean, we go to church every Sunday. We read scriptures and pray every night, just like we always have. Logistically, it's a bit easier because we're in the same house now. <laughs> and um, other than that, you know, a, a lot of my religious practice and my spirituality is, is forward-facing in public. And right now, we're just really loving this little bubble where we can be us and have that not be a public thing. And honestly, I think that's all I want to say about it right now. But we're happy Great. we go to church and we both feel really confident in the decisions that we've made. And didn't some of the new ward members bring you guys cookies? We had so many baked goods on, on our door the first day, which was really, really tender. So, All right, Ben. Let's go, let's go tit for tat, shall we? <laughs> ben, yes, how, let's tat. How have you been feeling since you left your position as a BYU Honor Code Administrator? <laughs> great, great question. Okay, quick story. Charlie and I like, recorded a quick promo video that we posted on Instagram, and Charlie was like, Ben said so many life changes. And at the time, I had not decided to leave my job. That was a joke because I was, was about to get married. <laughs> it was just a joke. 
Um, and then I, I just, I, I've been feeling professionally stagnant for a while. I've been in my job for four years and typically the position I'm in is like a three to five year kind of position. I just felt like I needed to experience some professional growth. I just suddenly knew it's time to do it. So I felt really calm and confident about the choice. It honestly has been really sad because I, I love BYU. I love the people I work with. They are family to me. The BYU campus, besides my home in Everett, Washington, is more my home than anywhere else on the planet. I just love that place. And I hope to go back. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be a therapist working for Eric Hales Counseling because my friend Eric Hales invited me to work with him. and He did not expect to hire anybody. You might remember his piano rendition of Veruca Salt. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be working for Eric Hales Counseling. Expect t-shirts that say Eric Hales Counseling featuring Ben Shalati. Uh, <laughs> And, and I feel really calm about it. My last day was Wednesday, and then there was gather madness yesterday, and then today, and so I haven't gotten to feel all my feelings yet, and so I'll probably cry on Monday and Tuesday, um, but I feel really calm about it. This, is, this was the right choice. If you need any, like, baked goods to cheer you up, we have a lot at our place, <laughs> so just come on over. That's good to know, but you're going to be out of town. Okay, well. All right, Charlie, next question. I'm a non-binary teen. This is a quote. Uh, I, I am. Oh, wow, that threw me for a loop. <laughs> I am a non-binary teen. How do I find people or friends who love the gospel and are also queer? I feel like I have to pick a side, but I really need and want both. Yeah. So that that feeling of feeling like you need to pick a side is incredibly prevalent, and I think we we know that we've seen that, and we've we've both felt it. Um, I've been, you know, in my therapy practice, I've. Um, been studying a lot, and I'm also a therapist. Again, many opinions and life experiences. <laughs> um, but I have kind of been studying um, like human thinking errors, and this all-or-nothing black-and-white thinking is one of the most common cognitive distortions that humans have, and um, it leads people to feel stuck and trapped. This either-or, um, and I just I just want to hold space for that because it, it does really feel lonely there. Um, and so to this person, I would, the advice I would give is do anything you can to push against that. And I know me in my life, having good friends and good support around me has been crucial, imperative. And I, I feel like I was able to find the right people by trying to be the person I wanted to attract. Um, so I believe that if you want to attract like good, value-driven, courageous, open people, then that's the kind of person you need to try to become. Yeah. Love it. Uh, I would just say that, uh, you know, there are so many people in this world and to believe that there's no one like you that you can fit in with just isn't accurate. And if, if you look for people that are like you, like you said, by, by being confident and positive, you'll find those people. Yeah. I think this gathering this weekend is proof that you're not alone. So Ben, one listener has asked, how can I use my unique identity as a way to grow closer to God? Okay, I love this question. Uh, and I think this really builds off of something that Elder Ballard said in General Conference um, back in April 2021, where he said that we are children of God, that's our identity, that's who we really are. And then he says that our, that our primary identity is enhanced as we, as we look at these other identities, you know, our ethnicity, our culture, our, our racial background, our nationality. And I just love that idea that, that our, our primary identity as children of God is enhanced as we focus on our other identities and see those through the lens of, 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 of being children of God. Um, can you read it one more time? I want to make sure I get everything. 
How do I use my unique identity as a way to grow closer to God? Yeah, um, so the way this has worked for me is as I spent so much time in my 20s just really hating myself and my orientation, I just wanted to change. So my prayers were always, how do I change? Like, how do I be different? And those were really hard, dark times. And it was about when I was 29, I realized that this wasn't something that was going to change. And I thought, okay, well, then how can I live my best life going forward uh, with, with my orientation the way it is if it's not going to change? And that just totally opened up this whole new world for me of, of this is how I was sent to earth and I can live my best life this way. So I think that someone can honor their identity and grow closer to God by saying, God, help me understand you know, what gifts I bring with my identity. Help me understand um, how I can use these gifts, not only to have a good, happy life for myself, but also to, to serve others and build the kingdom. Yeah, that's great. And you know, just this week I was um, talking to a friend who was telling me the, their parable of the lemonade. And they were saying that for so long they, were, they had this lemon of, of being gay and it felt very bitter and sour to them. And they couldn't figure out how to turn it into lemonade until they realized that lemons aren't the only ingredient in lemonade. You also need you know, typically water and sugar. So they were telling me about how adding water, the living waters of Christ, and spiritualizing their identity um, really helped bring a new flavor and then um, looking to the positive aspects of it, which for them were um, learning empathy, compassion, connecting with people, building a new community, stepping out of the comfort zone um, to act as the sugar in that lemonade. And they were able to turn this thing that they had viewed really sour into this refreshing drink that you know, almost everybody loves. And I think that is fantastic advice. Yeah. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, like, what does that look like in practice to put uh, the water of Christ into the, the lemonade of your orientation or anything else that might seem challenging in life. And I remember when, when I was living in, in Tucson, which I talk about all the time, go Arizona, uh, and, uh, and I started this uh, support group, and I decided I wanted to read the whole Book of Mormon my last semester at college there. And I, just, I thought, well, maybe the people in this group would want to join. And so uh, like a handful of us, sometimes just, a, just three or four, and sometimes a dozen of us would get together and talk about certain chapters from the Book of Mormon uh, a few times a week. And so it was my first time reading the Book of Mormon through this lens of being gay. And the gospel opened up to me in ways that I hadn't anticipated by viewing the teachings of these ancient prophets and I had so many insights uh, doing that, and it was just really wonderful to not only connect with God, but to connect with myself. It goes back to pushing against the either-or and realizing that your identity enhances your identity. Yep. All right, next question. This is a long one, Charlie. Uh, as leaders in the church, such as Presidents of Relief Society, Elders Quorum, Young Women, Young Men, and Bishop, what would it actually look like to help LGBTQ members and their families feel accepted, included, and loved? I often hear people say that they haven't felt welcome or have, or have felt judged or uncomfortable at church. So I've asked friends with LGBTQ family members what, what would help, but they seem stumped for ideas. So I started chuckling because for a minute I felt like I was on Miss America. <laughs> it was like, um, I, Get everyone uh, a puppy. <laughs> yeah, world peace. Um, no, this is a really important question. And I, I, first of all, I love that local leaders are really taking ownership and, and saying, you know, there's people in our wards, in our congregations, in our communities that might really be struggling. How can we best respond and be more of a Zion people? Um, I think the first advice I would give is to understand that there's a lot of perceived rejection when you're LGBTQ. 
And that's not always coming from like an inauthentic place. It's, it's based on past experience. So people who are rejected growing up tend to, I mean, I just kind of always feel like I will be, except like here. <laughs> um, I trust all you, but you, ju you just expect the rejection. And so I think anything a leader or a parent or a family member can do to speak to that and intercept that perceived rejection. And that can look like showing visible love and support, very proactive love and support, saying, hey, just so you know, I'll tell you for the millionth time, I love you, you're welcome here, you're comfortable. And then additionally, I would say to listen. I feel like too often we're quick to try to fix it. Um, and when someone comes with an issue, they're sad, they're feeling depressed or lonely, you wanna just fix it and say, well, why don't you do this? Um, but I found that in this space specifically, kind of acting as a good Samaritan is a much stronger approach in going into that pain with them, listening and seeing what you learn from that. Um, good revelation comes from good information and we need solid information about what's happening on the ground level in order to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to help people. And I know that once we get that information and ask those questions, God will inspire us and lead us in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, you just taught some important principles. Can I give some like operationalizing those principles, like some examples of those? Please do. Um, so, you know, you said it's important to listen. Uh, my dad is here right now. Dad, you want to stand up and give everyone a twirl? <laughs> so I've been watching my dad all day and he'll go up to people and say, hello, what's your story? And then he stands there for 10 minutes listening to someone's story, which I think is so beautiful and lovely. Imagine if we did that in our wards and stakes. You know, if we said, hey, I've known you for five years or 10 years, or, or I've moved into this ward, you know, tell me your story. And if we actually heard people's stories, how, how that would change our hearts and minds. Uh, we can all be a little bit like Buzz Shaladi and, and hear people's stories. Uh, the other thing I think is important, I had, this, I had a bishop um, when I was in a mid-singles ward here in Provo. His, his name is Kurt Brown. He's a mission president right now in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, and he would talk so much about his personal lived experience. And he had an interesting and checkered past. And he talked to us about the years he was inactive. He talked to us about the, the rough home life he had growing up. And his vulnerability breeded vulnerability in our ward. And so because he was open, we knew that we could be open with him as well. And so no one had any fear to share anything really, really personal with him because they knew uh, that, that, that he would be someone who would understand. So I would say, uh, if we want to create space, we need to allow space for our own stories as well. Uh, and the, the other thing I, I would say is that it's, it's really important that we just talk about LGBTQ stuff in really natural, organic, and positive ways, which I say all the time. Um, but we just need to like share LGBTQ stories. It doesn't have to be like a whole talk that's LGBTQ focused, but maybe an example of faith that comes from an LGBTQ perspective uh, or a family story. And just as we talk about uh, our stories naturally and organically, I think that will, will, will breed safety. And we don't need to know what someone, like th these leaders who are stumped, like how do we make a place? Well, talk to the LGBTQ people in your congregation. Say, well, what can we do? And then do what they say, do what they ask. Okay, oh, this is yours. It's my turn. Um, so this person asks, what do you do when someone has good intentions with their allyship? but still ends up causing harm. 
Uh, I think that's a really beautiful question. Um, I was just listening to an episode of the Faith Matters podcast this week, and, it was, and they were talking about parenting. Um, and the woman they were interviewing got emotional, and she said, I'm thinking about the therapist that my, par- that my kids will talk to in the future about my parenting. And, and, and she said, parenting is, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but she basically said, parenting is always just our best effort, and we get it wrong sometimes. And that's how it is in any space we're in. We're, we're going to get things wrong. And that's just part of being human. And so I don't think we should necessarily um, be too hard on ourselves if we sometimes get things wrong, but really give our best efforts and then take feedback and sincerely apologize and do better when we know better. Yeah, I'm thinking of the Savior. And you know, we look at his life. His, his last words as he was dying were to forgive his murderers. Um, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I just, like, can you imagine just being beaten and stripped and, and murdered and then using your dying breath to forgive that person? Um, you know, our, our purpose in life is to become more like Jesus Christ, to develop those Christ-like characteristics. And I do not want to diminish the pain of, you know, someone's good intentions and how that can feel sometimes on the receiving end when they don't look the same way they were meant. Um, but I believe that to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to forgive people, um, especially, maybe especially in those times when they don't know what they were doing. You know, they're operating from some place of ignorance or, or trying but not, not getting it right. Um, so. I've got a quick story to share with this, um, and this goes back to like me leaving BYU um, to do something. I'm moving forward. I'm not just leaving. I'm going somewhere. <laughs> um, but uh, when I was applying for my job in the honor code office a little over four years ago, I applied for another job at BYU, and it was a job that I would have liked, but it wasn't the job that I, I, I wanted, the honor code office job. And so, and I was interviewing for both at the same time, and then I got offered the honor code position first, and so then I declined the other position, and when I went in to go tell the person who would be my boss, I said, hey, I'm going to withdraw my application. She said, oh, Ben, we were going to hire you, and she was really bummed about it. Uh, and then over the next four years, I didn't see her a ton, but we ran into each other regularly, and, and she has a gay son, and, and we were on, on a panel together um, at, at some event talking about our experiences, and, and she did a great job. But she said a few things that I felt if her son had been there would have been hurtful or maybe a little painful. And so um, after the meeting, I said, hey, like, I, your son is so lucky to have you, uh, but it might have been painful if you'd heard this. You might want to say it more like this. And she said, oh, Ben, thank you for letting me know. I didn't know. Here's this woman who's trying her very best to be an ally, and she just needed a little polite help to know how to do it. And so when we make mistakes, I think that's just part of this. Like, we're, we're going to make mistakes uh, in our journey of allyship. Uh, and then just to, to, just to round out the story, um, so last Thursday, I, I work in the, the Provo Temple on, on Thursday nights, and, and I knew I only had a few days left at BYU, and this thought came to my head to pray, what lack I yet at BYU? You know, I'm leaving in a few days. What haven't I done that I need to do while I'm still there? And so I prayed about that, and this woman's name came to my mind, who I only see from time to time, and I knew I had to go and thank her for wanting to hire me. And so I stopped by her office uh, the next morning, and she, she was busy, and I said, can I come by this afternoon? She said, of course. And so I sat down in her office, and I said, I just want to thank you for wanting to hire me. I would have loved so much working with you, and I just want to thank you for, for trusting me enough to, to wanting me to be on your team. 
And she got a little emotional and she said, Ben, it would have been so great to work with you. I feel like we haven't interacted enough, but I'm just so honored to, to know you and call you a friend. And then she said, I have some questions about my son. And then we talked about her family uh, for about 40 minutes. And when I left her office, uh, we hugged and she said, I love you. And I said, I love you back. And it wasn't at all awkward because we meant it. And so that's what, that's what most allies are like. They love us and want to do the right thing. And if they might say the wrong thing, we don't need to jump down their throat. We say, hey, I noticed this thing. It might be a little better if you do it like this. All right. Um, oh, this is a good one, Charlie. <laughs> this one's really putting you on, on the spot. Okay, I have a hard time reconciling policy changes in the church. It seems like all of my efforts to avoid the same-sex part of me being bisexual for, for years and years are for nothing. So then, why did I restrict myself for years? How can I support the policies of the church when I feel like they are changing? Where and when will the policies begin? The first thing I want to say, well, I just want to hold space for that. Um, and to validate how difficult that is um, to feel like there's back and forth and whiplash and that people make decisions and again like on the ground level you feel this incredible weight from them it's, it's really hard to have an identity be policized um, if that's a word and and that's really hard and I, I just have a lot of compassion for this person and uh, it is hard um, yeah. and, and honestly, I think that is so important for us to just to acknowledge that life is different now. You it know, is. being yeah. a gay liar saying now in 2023 is different than it was when I was a kid in the 90s, and it's way different than it was in the 80s or 70s or 60s or before that. Yeah, it's hard because it can kind of cause jealousy, you know, like why did I have to go through so many bad things just because I was younger? And I don't know. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. Um, but I do know that I, I feel like you can mourn and grieve what you've been through without becoming bitter or jealous of the people who have it better. Because um, at the end of the day, like, we want it to be better. We want people to not have to go through the pain and suffering and whiplash that we've been through. Um, I, I hope, I hope, hope, hope that in 20 years, the, the kids are growing up having none of the self-deprecating thoughts that I had. Um, and I hope that I can be the kind of person that can be proud of that. And um, so I would just say to, to try to rather than focus on what you didn't have, uh, be grateful that we're moving forward into a new place. It's like grandpa being upset that he had to walk to school uphill both ways and we got to ride our bikes. <laughs> yeah, like be grateful for the bike and ride your bike now. And don't, don't, don't be so caught up in that you're difficult or trying past that you're not able to appreciate and live your beautiful present. And, and just building off what you said, and like, I don't want to minimize any painful experiences because things are hard and tough. And there's this poison that we often have in us from these really negative experiences. And if we can metabolize that poison and purge it from us, that's the best way to move forward. And uh, you might have heard this, this story about these women in a concentration camp in World War II, and they lived in, uh, in this barracks that had a bunch of fleas. And because there were all these fleas, they were able to read the Bible and, because the, the soldiers didn't come in there because there were all these fleas. And one of them was praying. She was like, God, thank you for the fleas. You know? And we, we, can be, we can be thankful for, right? Who's thankful for fleas? That's so humble. Yeah. That's so humble. And, and, and I, I think what this comes down to is this, this idea of asking God to, to, to bless and sanctify our experiences. 
Like, whatever experiences we've had, whatever we've gone through, if we can say, God, can you take this thing that is terrible or has been terrible and make it holy and sanctify me, I think that is a, a way that we can metabolize the poison that was put in us from, from harmful things and, and harmful teachings of the past. And, uh, and that's not, an e like, I can say that, but that's a hard thing to do. And, and I think really gratitude for the, for the, the lives we have is really helpful. Um, I, I have a personal hero. Her name is Liz Darter. She works at BYU. I could tell lots of stories about her. Uh, but I heard her speak recently, and she was talking to, uh, she was on the Young Women's General Board recently and was recently released, and she was talking to Bonnie Corden once about a, a, a challenge she was going through. And then Sister Corden said this to her. She said, Liz, what is the easiest part of this experience? And then she kind of was shocked because she hadn't thought about it. And she said, well, the following things are the easiest part about this experience. And I think if we look at our experience and, yeah, like, yes, let's be honest about the hard things, but also say, you know, what are the easy things? What are the blessings? And also frame it in that way because God can take any experience and bless it and sanctify it for our good. Can we clap for that? <laughs> I just I want a round of applause for that. That's beautiful. All right, so this person says, I absolutely cannot come out. With that in mind, does that make me a dishonest person? I was not aware of my orientation when getting into a relationship with my significant other, who I absolutely do love, but I'm just not attracted to them sexually. P.S. This better be anonymous. <laughs> it is. Don't worry. This is Paul Bergstrom from Mesa, Arizona. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I made up a name. Very anonymous. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the important thing to realize is that we don't owe anyone any explanations about our life. You know, there's not anything that we have to share if we're not ready or prepared to share it. Um, so I don't think that anyone is being dishonest by not sharing a part of themselves with their friends, their family, or even their spouse. I don't think that's dishonest. My concern with this wouldn't be the dishonesty, but how the, the feeling of needing to hide would create distance between this person and their spouse. And so what I would be concerned about is, you know, this person says, you know, I... I definitely cannot come out. And I would say, well, is that true? Like, is it true that you definitely can't come out? Um, and, and also, uh, is, is your, are, do you feel like you're, you're hiding in a way that, it, that is creating distance between you and your spouse? And that might not be the case, but that would be my concern. Yeah, and, and I feel like the adversary wants us to feel trapped, and God gives us option and, and movement. Um, the only other thing I'll, I'll say with this is I, I really believe that the Lord is going to be so, so merciful with his LGBTQ children. There are a lot of social and cultural undercurrents that are hard to deal with. There's a lot of, you know, lies that we've grown up hearing about ourselves and believing about ourselves. And I just think because of the lack of structure and the lack of honesty that so many of us have been met with, the Lord is going to be really, really merciful. And um, I, I hope that, you know, just, I mean, at its root, this is a, such a pure question. Like, am I lying because I'm scared? Um, and I, I think the Lord's going to be so merciful with you. And, and once again, I don't know this person or the, the subtext, but, but I'm, I'm sensing a, a bit of, of like, Regret, or maybe not regret is the right word, but what's a good word? Like, what are they feeling? I think regret's a nice word. Maybe for regret. Like, I, I didn't. Well, or, or, or maybe like pressure to share something that they well, feel like just they can't like share. Feeling like they're kind of living like like they duped their partner. Mm -hmm. 
but it's because they were duped themselves for you know. Yeah, and, and I guess I would just I would just say if, if someone's feeling pressure to do anything, like pressure to come out, you know, I would really see where that's coming from. You know, if it's coming from this place of I'm feeling like I'm dishonest, uh, I don't know if that needs to be the right motivator. But if it's coming from like the spirit is prompting me to say something, well, that's a different story. But I don't think anyone needs to feel any pressure to do anything. You know, let let's uh, let let let's be guided by the spirit and trust and faith and hope. All right. Uh, here's another one, Charlie. Uh, I try to be a good ally, but when someone says something insensitive or outright homophobic or transphobic, I tend to freeze. How can I be, how can I be more bold in calling out ignorance or hate, especially... Ooh, that is a nice question. Um, the first thing I thought about is your biological stress response, right? Your fight or flight or freeze. So when you feel like you're in danger or someone you love is in danger, your body's going to like shoot cortisol and adrenaline through your system. And that cortisol is going to say fight or flight or freeze. And then the adrenaline is going to give you extra power to do that. And I think we see that a lot. Sometimes someone will say like, uh, like it's at a downright homophobic or transphobic comment. And immediately some people are like, oh, I'm going to take you down. And then this adrenaline, like, oh, like you just want to like get them. Um, and other people like run away. They completely avoid the situation um, because there's that sense of danger. And so it, and it's normal to freeze up when this happens, right? That this is how your body should respond. It means your system works. Um, but understanding that, you can learn ways to reassure yourself and come down from that response and um, maintain like a grounded sense of self. And the way, honestly, the way I would do that is to practice. Like if this person has like a close family member or spouse or something, like literally it's, it sounds funny, but like do what we do as missionaries when we're nervous to knock on a door or teach a lesson or invite someone to be baptized, like role play this and have your husband or whoever like practice raising the hand and like saying something horrible in the gospel doctrine class and then practice what that feels like, understand Reassure yourself that you can, you have the knowledge to do this, and make a response. And as you do this, it's going to become more natural. Your body won't be as shocked by this, like, shocking or jarring thing that you hear. And you can look really cool in front of everyone and be, like, the best ally. And you can help that Sunday school hoe learn. <laughs> <laughs> that was a callback to the earlier session. <laughs> Sorry for people who weren't at gather this morning. That didn't make any sense. Uh, there was a typo. Something actually said study school ho. Uh, anyway. Ben Chaladi. That's against I, the honor code. I just read the prompt. Uh, but the, the other thing I would say to... to the other thing I would say to, to build off of that, it, Charlie, calm down. I love that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm keeping that. Charlie loves a good Sunday school hoe. Anyway. I married uh, one. <laughs> so I think it's also important to understand that, that it's not always our job to correct everything that's said in church that might make us feel uncomfortable or might make someone feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it's just not the time. So I think it's important to just kind of gauge how we're feeling, the situation. And I'll give you an example that didn't happen in Sunday school. So I was recently with a friend of a friend, and I didn't know this friend of a friend very well. And out of nowhere, she said um, that, and I'll just say what she said. She said she didn't like the Disney Corporation because they groom children to be gay. And I was shocked by that. And then hours, and I didn't say anything, 
And then hours passed, and it was still bothering me. And I realized that since it was still bothering me, I needed to say something. So this is what I did. I said, I, I heard you say a few hours ago this and this and this. Could you help me understand what you meant? And then she talked a lot more, and she didn't really know what she meant, honestly. And, and then she asked me some questions. And my friend, who is gay, and she knows that, but she didn't, had never really heard his experience, he then shared a bit of his experience, and she asked him a lot of good questions. And that led to a 40-minute conversation that I think changed both of them. That was really good for both of them. And so we don't have to call people out. Uh, people don't usually respond well when we say, what you just said was homophobic, or how dare you say that. That's not usually the right way to respond. It could be, but what I found helps is, is when someone says something that, that doesn't sit right with me, I say, help me understand what you mean. And we're usually more on the same page than, than I, I thought at first. And then, as they feel heard, they're more likely to hear what I have to say. And I also think that correcting people in a church setting is most often not the right way, but I think the best correction happens one-on-one. -on -one. And so if something happens in church and it's still sitting with you, you know, a few hours later or a day you later that or a week later. in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> and you pull them into the mother's lounge yeah. and you have a, a reckoning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to my point. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I think if, if it's still sitting with you, then, then just reach out to the person and say, hey, I noticed you said this thing. Could you help me understand what you meant and have a conversation? Because that's when their heart is going to change, not when you call them out in Sunday school and they feel stupid and defensive. Okay. So, Charlie, what are your favorite Taylor Swift albums, songs, or eras? And this was a submitted question. Don't mind if I do. Okay, well, first of all... Like, isn't this like asking a mother who her favorite kid is? Like, it's got to be similar. Um, but you know, they always have one. <laughs> At least situationally. So situationally, album to listen to, 1989, okay? My favorite is, <laughs> my favorite is style. The most underrated is New Romantics. Um, in the Eras tour, the favorite era is Reputation. It's because of the heels. When she walks out in the high heels, like, it's unbeatable. Um, my favorite when I'm like feeling sad is folklore. My favorite when I'm missing home is fearless. And the rest of them are, are neck and neck. So someone gave me friendship bracelets today and it was so nice, it's so cute. If, I don't have to explain, she's world domination. Hello. Um, and this one says snamalg. And I was like, snamalg, snamalg. And honestly, through a half of Steve Young's presentation today, I was trying to figure out what snamalgia meant. And then I thought, oh, Shade never made anybody less gay. You need to calm down. Lover era. So what about you, Ben? How about Shake It Off? That's one of her songs, right? I like that one. That's... Respect. <laughs> oh, and that one about Jake Gyllenhaal. That one's fun. I don't know what it's How called. How dare you mention his name? <laughs> I don't know the rules with Taylor Swift. We're going we're gonna to have to have a 40-minute conversation after church. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Th thank you, everyone, for, uh, for letting me do that. Um, and thank you for whoever submitted the question. All right, then, next question. Someone wants to know, Ben, how do you handle crushes in a healthy way? Uh, I don't. <laughs> I can second that because I watch him do, try to do I'll, it. I'll let you know when I figure it out. Next question. 
Um, okay. <laughs> really? You asked me one. Okay. Um, what would be a good response to the classic, we love this person, but we don't condone their choices? Ooh, I like that. Um, and I, I wrote a chapter in my most recent book about this, actually. Um, it's like, love the sinner, hate the sin. It's like, they're very similar comments. And I, I, I just feel like, first, I think there's good intentions there. And like, really, this might, this might be kind of like a, um, what's the word when you say something that's unpopular opinion? It starts with a C. Controversial. Uh. This might be controversial, but I'm like, you know what? At least this person isn't like, I downright hate you. <laughs> so like, there's some wiggle room there, right? <laughs> Even though it's like slightly problematic, it's like at least like they, there's a desire to want to be loving there, right? Um, but I don't know if I've ever truly been able to love someone or see them if I'm going in under this assumption of like, gotta make sure they don't feel too loved got to make sure that I don't give them their agency. Like, I don't want to let them know that they can do whatever they want with their life. You know, that's kind of like, I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> it's judgmental. But um, so anyway, in, in my book, I wrote about like, instead of saying love the sinner, hate the sin, um, the love the sinner, invite them to dinner. And again, this idea of having conversations, getting to know someone um, without this fear of loving them too much. And then as you do that, it, I think everyone just becomes a person and not even a sinner. And then you just love people and you eat really good meals together. And I just think that's what we need to focus on right now. Yeah. Um, I did not write about this in my book, but I did give a BYU TEDx talk about this topic that you can look up. Just Google Ben Shalati YouTube. Um, you'll also find a video of me teaching Spanish from the University of Arizona. Um, See, now that I want to watch. <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, don't Google that. Um, but uh, I, I started off this, this, this TED Talk by sharing a story from my dad. I'm going to give my dad another shout out. Uh, but when, when I was younger, my older brother was dating a woman that my sister and I didn't like. And we asked my dad what we should do if they came home one day and, and announced that they were engaged. Ben, what did you think was wrong with her? Uh, I don't remember. I'm just kidding. That was supposed <laughs> to be a joke to put her on the spot. Oh, I'm sorry. sure she was lovely. <laughs> she was quite lovely. I wonder what happened to her. We should look her up. And Maybe she has a TED Talk, too. I guess we'll have to see. Anyway, uh, if they come home and say they're engaged, we will cheer for them, and we will be happy. They're going to do what they want to do, whether we like it or not. And so I, I think that a good way to, to frame our interactions with people who are making choices that we don't agree with is to just be happy for whatever is bringing them happiness and to cheer for them in whatever they're cheering about and, and, and to do that. Um, I don't know how I would like put this in, into practice um, in, in my daily life if someone were to say this, uh, but I've spent many years since I've read uh, Jesus the Christ, but I recall James E. Talmadge writing about the story of uh, Jesus and the woman taken in adultery, and then, then he wrote on the ground, and Elder, Elder Talmadge said that what he wrote on the ground were the sins of the people around. I think. It's been a number of years. Um, but I think that people who say, how do I love people while letting them know I don't agree with their choices, I think we really need to look inside and see what choices we are making that make people uncomfortable and the choices that we are making that, 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 that involve sinful behavior. Because in the end, we are all sinners. We are all doing things that are, that are, that are incorrect. And you know, I, I have a number of close friends who thought that working at me, me working at BYU was not a good idea and was even kind of vile. I had a number of friends who thought that. Um, and you know what, they didn't tell me that. 
they were just my friends. And I'm really grateful for the people who let me live my life uh, without pointing out all the things that they think I'm doing wrong. Uh, Y'all, the answers we're looking for all come from Jesus Christ. Like, did he not say, like, judge not? And did he not say, like, look the, the beam in your own eye and the moat in your own eye? And, like, we have the answers for this if we're living the gospel. And I just think all of us need to do better at looking to him. So, Ben, this person wants to know, how do you handle crushes in a healthy way? <laughs> I love that. Okay. Um, so, someone says, since moving out a few years ago, it has become increasingly difficult to go back home and be in an environment where hurtful comments are made about LGBTQ members of the church. How would you recommend letting my family know that these comments are incredibly hurtful without actually coming out? You know, th this is a situation that I haven't really been in, um, me personally, but this is what I w would imagine happening. You know, it it's, it's hard to hear people you love say negative things about you when they don't realize that they're talking about you. Like, that, that's just a hard thing. And, and it's hard to be in a place where you are the one being hurt and you have to explain that hurt so that someone stops doing that hurt to you. That is hard to do and that takes a lot of courage. And also, if this person isn't ready to come out, it could put them in a really vulnerable and uncomfortable place. And so it might just be based on the situation that it might not be the right time to do that, uh, to, to correct that behavior. But you can utilize your allies. That's when the power of an ally is so important. So like when I was worried about coming to my parents, I, my sister knew, and I was like, Anne, you gotta do some groundwork. You gotta prep the rest of the family. And she did. And she could, like, she was married and had kids, and it, like, no one was like, Anne, are you lesbian? Because she's not. And so she didn't have to live with the same fear, and she could be a little bit more honest and enter in some conversations that I wasn't ready to have. And just, like, I, allyship is awesome, and that's what it's there for, you know? You know, this reminds me of, I had a, a BYU student come to my office who was gay and things just had, he had come out to his parents and it just was not going well, but his brother was super supportive and he said, I can't talk to my parents about this. And I said, well, is there a way that your brother could do it? And he said, yes. And then we kind of strategized how he would do that. So I think utilize, if you're not ready to share your own experience, like Charlie said, definitely like utilize your allies and have people do the teaching that you can't do quite yet. All right, Charlie, I see a lot of church leaders avoiding addressing LGBTQ people, uh, addressing LGBTQ people feeling welcome and safe at church. What is the best way to help affect change at a ward or stake level if leaders are avoiding the topic? I, I think the first thing I'd say is like, honestly, we don't have the keys to do that. Like, we, if you're not a ward or stake leader, you don't have the keys to enact like, like any structural change in your ward or stake. And you know, I, I know a lot of people want to like protest and push back, and I understand that, where that comes from, but I don't, I don't think that works in a conservative religious system, and especially if you like believe in priesthood keys, that's kind of an overstep. And so I think that like I, and I love, that's such a beautiful desire because what this person is wanting to do is make things better and they see areas of improvement and they just want to like shake the people at the top and say, why don't you see what's happening? Um, and it can feel powerless to not have that power. 
Um, and yet we don't have that power. And I don't know how to like reconcile that or like give, you know, that, that, that's hard. And um, so I, I, what I try to do is within my sphere of influence, I try to enact the change that needs to be made. And that comes from conversations. That comes from learning and being able to recognize the one. And if there's not structural things that we think should be happening, make sure that on the ground level, people are feeling seen and safe and secure. Make sure that they have support and that they know they're loved and that they know that God loves them. And I, I believe that's what we can do. And that's powerful, okay? Like that's really, really powerful and can, you know, sometimes even have more lasting power than, you know, like, I, I talk to people a lot, and there's times when someone says, I heard this general conference talk, or I believe this doctrine, and it changed my life. That's true. But there's so many times when someone says, you know, my young women's leader, when I was 14, really showed interest in me, and that's why I'm here. You know, and so both, both work, and do the one that you can do. Yeah, what's really interesting is, you know, I was in like four wards after coming out publicly, and in each of those wards, in like ward counselor meetings, and we would talk about fifth Sunday lessons, I would always recommend we talk about LGBTQ topics, and they never bit, like we never did that. Uh, and then in one of my wards here in Provo, the bishop just asked me to give a fifth Sunday lesson without my offering. And so I think we can, like, yes, let's, let's trust and respect priesthood keys and let the leaders lead. Uh, we can also give them opportunities to, to learn and grow and, and then trust their leadership. Uh, the, the church has a lot of amazing resources. You know, if, if uh, you want to point your leaders to, to counselingresources.churchofjesuschrist.org backslash same-sex attraction. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a great, uh, great information there, and it even recommends having a fifth Sunday lesson on the topic of same-sex attraction. So I think there's a lot that, that leaders can do, but we need to let them be the ones to lead while giving them opportunities to learn. Amazing. All right. You want another one? Yeah. You ready for it? Always. What similarities and differences do Ben and Charlie have in how they write their books? Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, well, I've written more than you have. I've written one and an, <laughs> one and an eighth. Um, and one on the way. <laughs> um, I think that you are much more organized. Like, you, you like, take no... Why am I talking about the way you write? I should talk about how I write. No, let's talk about how each other writes. I think that's more fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, like, write out all the principles you want to cover in note cards, and then you organize them, and then you decide how you're going to fit them together. Like, you, like your book kind of has, like, a whole flow to it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I feel like I write chapters and get the chapters there and then at the very end compile them. And I feel like you write a whole book and then edit, are editing a whole book, whereas I like to edit segments. Yeah, and also my writing is almost always question-based. Like, what mm -hmm. question did someone ask and how can I answer that question? And so and I'm always telling some story. Uh -huh. And, like, it's always dramatic and fanciful. Yeah. And, Another thing you do that's different from how I write is you, like, paint this beautiful picture. Like, he was wearing yellow pants, and the sun was setting, and there was a goat on the hillside. And, like, you... No, that did happen. <laughs> you know, you, you, like, set a stage and, like, paint a picture, and I just write like I talk. Yeah. And, and I, I did that on purpose. Like, when I wrote, like, when I wrote my book, uh, I actually read it out loud to a friend, 
uh, so that it would sound like I was uh, like I was talking to the person. I wanted to be really conversational, and then if it if it didn't, then I would reword it. So my book is really conversational. I think yours is more like a like I think I think you have better prose, and I'm just like talking vulnerably. I'm like, here's my heart. And you're like, here's a picture of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I will say, like, um, I, I take more creative liberties than Ben does, and we actually argue yeah. about this sometimes, because sometimes he'll be like, I had this conversation with this person, and this conversation with this person, but it's getting confusing. And I'm like, well, then just pretend it was the same person in the same conversation, and it's still real. And he's like, I can't do it. That's unethical. And I'm like... <laughs> I do that, so yeah. occasionally I'll like combine conversations or like, that's pretty much it. I don't, like, I never lie, but I take a creative liberty occasionally. Yeah, speaking of handling crushes and uh, not well, someone I had a crush on just texted me. Let me see who it is. No. I won't tell anyone. No. Let me see, please. We'll, we'll tell everyone later in a different episode. But it's not time yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, where are we at? With I this? love when you blush. It's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> anyway, crush over, by the way. Someone I had a crush on, long time ago. Anyway, what were we talking about again? Oh, writing processes. Um, so, if you read something in my book, like I, like that is exactly what happened. I don't take creative liberties. And when I was writing my book, I had previously written an essay about telling my parents that that uh, I had I had dated this guy, and then this these beautiful responses from my parents. And I remember in my head that happening when I was uh, in, in their living room. And so I wrote it in this essay about that. And then as I, was, as I was writing my book, I went back and read my journal, and that actually happened weeks before I thought it had happened on a Skype call. I was like, oh shoot. I was like, well, I guess that's the story now. And people won't know that it's you not true. History. Yeah, I, I changed the location. But like, that bothered me. I, I want everything in my book to be completely factual. Yeah. I, I am really grateful I guess a lot of times people are like, did this actually happen, Charlie? Like, did you actually come out to your brother while hiking Mount Kilimanjaro? And I'm like, it actually did. And for some reason, I feel like the most like, important moments in my life are also super dramatic. Maybe that's just because I'm a dramatic person, or I don't, but I like it. And I'm like, thank you, God, and keep giving me these like, big, memorable experiences because I guess that's how I remember them so I can teach lessons with them. So. Yeah. Okay, this is my last question I'm going to ask you. Uh, how do we speak about the proclamation on the family in a way that isn't hurtful to LGBTQ saints? And we really should probably do a whole episode on this one. Yeah, I th we, we've done one before. I think we should do another. We should revisit that. Um, you know, my, my first thought was understand what it is. Because I feel like there's a lot of ghost lines in the family proclamation. And people say, like, well, the family proclamation says this. And, you know, actually, to be honest, Ben, you haven't memorized, and that was really inspiring to me. And so, like, I haven't memorized it, but I started reading it a lot more, because I feel like usually I just, like, avoid it, um, because of the way it's used sometimes, right? And I was like, oh, like, a lot of the stuff I thought was in there actually isn't. And there's, like, beautiful truths to pull out. Like, the, the first thing it says is, like, we're children of God. Like, we come from a divine heritage, and that's a truth that everyone needs to know. Um, and so, yeah, that, what do you think? Yeah. Um, do I, I like my answer. <laughs> I do like your answer, mostly because it praised me. Um, but but I, I do think it's important to like look at what it actually does say. And you know, at the very beginning of the family proclamation, it says that all human beings are created in the image of God, and as such, each has a divine uh, nature and destiny. You know, that is beautiful. 
And if that was a truth that actually sunk into our hearts, and if that actually guided how we live our lives, and if it actually guided how we viewed other people, like that's world changing. And so I think that there are, there, there's plenty in the family proclamation that, that, that is beautiful and uplifting. And, and I, I spent a, a summer memorizing it two years ago because I just like wanted to put those words inside of me so I could access them. I'm a good memorizer, but it actually took like a whole summer. Um, it, was, it was really hard to memorize for me. Um, I don't know why it didn't stick. Anyway, I'm going to ramble about that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that there are plenty of truths in it that, that are really beautiful and uplifting. And, you know, when it says that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God, you know, I, like, I come from a proclamation family, like a family that, that lived those principles, and it was a really good life. And so, so um, yeah, I, I would say let, let's focus on the things that, that resonate with us and, and share those truths that show how we should view ourselves and view those that we interact with. Can I say another controversial thing? Yeah, of course. Not as controversial of you saying that Shake It Off is Taylor Swift's best song. <laughs> my, my favorite song. But still mildly controversial. Well, what, what you were saying is um, just like reminding me that you know, a, a lot of people actually, since I've like announced my engagement, are like, what are you going to teach your kids about like marriage? And like, do you believe that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God? Um, because I didn't marry a woman. And I, it, it's interesting because like, I do believe that. Like, I believe that marriage between a man and a woman is set apart for a special sacred purpose. And that is a holy relationship. And I'm glad my parents got married. I'm glad that their marriage was ordained to create me and my siblings. Like, I'm grateful that we have a family line. It's really special. Like, it's incredible. Um, and so it's just like, it's always like, I just feel like, uh, here's the controversial part, I guess, maybe, to some people. Um, like, just because marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God doesn't mean other relationships aren't, or not being married isn't. Like, there's... <laughs> They I, like your controversy. <laughs> they love my controversy. Um, but I just, I think so often we look at the gospel of what it's not rather than what it is. And that trips us up. That's like we miss the mark. And, and so, yeah, like I can hold love for the family proclamation while also like having personal revelation and expanding my view and how I believe and implement the council. And I, I think other people can, too. There's a controversial bird. <laughs> okay, I guess I get the last question. Great. And then I think we should each share Some final, final thoughts. final thoughts, of yeah. course. I'll let you have the very last word. Of course. And <laughs> What's the question, Charlie? Bird is the word. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Okay, Ryan, ever since I'm putting you on blast now, there's this horrible song by some band in the 60s. That's, I don't even want to sing it. B -b -b bird, 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 bird is the word. And he downloaded that when he met me and played it every time I got in his truck. And I hate it. But now it gets stuck in my head. So Shake It Off is a better song. It is a better song. Um, okay, so final listener submitted question. I'm 16 and I have grown up in the church. Ever since I was very young, I feel like God just hates me because I'm gay. I want to have a relationship with God and feel his love, but I feel like I can't because I'm wrong for the way I am. How do I get to the point where I can learn to love myself? 
Um, oh. th this is a really heavy way to end the night. Um, but I think this shows the reality that we that are growing up in a world where they think that God doesn't love them because of their orientation. And that is not right. Like, we, we can't stand for like, this. Like, that is not teaching someone that you have a divine nature and destiny. And, and I, 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 so I'm, I'm really sad for this, this kid, and, and I was that kid as well. Um, so if, if someone feels like because of your orientation you can't connect with God or, or God doesn't love you, Honestly, I think the only way to, maybe not the only way, but, but the thing I think would be most helpful would be, you know, ask God, you know, how he sees you. You know, be sincere and pray about it and just really listen and, and see how God feels about you. I, I have nothing else to add. That's beautiful. And, and there, there's this beautiful line from Camilla Irene Kimball, who was President Kimball's wife, where she said, um, you know, God does look, over, look out for us and, and, and watch over us, uh, but it's usually through another person that he meets our needs. Uh, so let's make sure that we can be the, the voice of God to that teen and help them know that they are loved and cared for. Uh, before... Before Allison and I went, went on stage this morning uh, for, to start Gather, we said a prayer, and one of the things I prayed was that um, people would feel God's love through us. And so uh, I think that's, if you're worried about the, the teens in the church who might not like themselves, I think it's a good thing to pray that, that God can act through us and that people can see God's love uh, through us. So... To kind of wrap things up, um, my final thoughts are just, you know, today I've been working on my presentation for tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Um, I really feel strongly about the message that I'm going to share. And I've been walking through the hallways trying to, like, run to my iPad or go grab a drink, and people keep stopping me in the hallway. And it's so endearing. It's so nice. And I've heard such wonderful commentary about my life and me sharing my story. And I'm grateful for it. I'm, I'm so like, honored to be able to like, have a space here and have a voice. And also, like, I haven't done anything extraordinary other than like, pray a lot and ask God where I should be and try to face my fears and move forward with the good things that I feel like God tells me to do. Um, and so I, don't, I just don't want it to become like confused, like, oh, like Charlie, something special. Like, I do look great today. <laughs> but, but like, it doesn't matter. Like, so do you. <laughs> um, I, wh what I'm trying to say is to be a leader, to affect change, to get the answers that you want, all you have to do is talk to God and face your fears and move forward. And it's, it's not, I'm not special because I'm me for some reason. I'm special because God's special and I'm trying to do what he says. And you're that special too. And as we all become that person and fulfill the measure of our creation and share what we need to share and testify what we know to be true, like, change happens rapidly, rapidly. Like there's, you know, 1,400 people at this conference and who, like, I don't know, like seven-ish hundred in this room. Like think of the power that we have to make sure that nobody feels like this 16-year-old. 
and I, I hope you can feel inspired to do those things. And um, <laughs> bird is the word. <laughs> bird is the word. And um, I, I'm so grateful that people are. I, I just I want to like retouch my first comment about like me sharing my marriage. I'm like I I'm happy to share, and and I will share. So don't think I'm like trying. I'm just like I'm not going anywhere. I'm not. And and I want to share my life and my struggles and my challenges and show people what it looks to have a Christ-centered gay relationship and I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And just to build off of Charlie's life changes, now that I'm no longer working at BYU, I really don't anticipate any major changes in my life. You know, I'm gonna keep working in the temple. Uh, I think my personal life will remain the same. I just plan on moving forward just how I was before, just with a different job. Um, but my final comments are about this couch. Uh, so th this couch, my landlady Charlotte bought. This couch is a bed. A few months ago. Can you see this? Yeah, it actually used to have a sign on it that said, I'm also a bed, or tambien soy una cama. <laughs> so we record the podcast in, in my basement, and there's this old wicker couch, and Charlotte kept saying, Ben, I'm going to buy you a couch. And I said, Charlotte, don't buy me a couch. I don't hang out down there. We don't need a couch in the basement. And we had that conversation about 40 times. She said, I'm going to buy you a couch. And I said, don't buy me a couch. And then one day I got home and she had bought this stupid couch. <laughs> and, she, and I was like, oh, great. Uh, and then it just sat in the living room for a day. And she said, Ben, I need this out of the living room. Can you move it downstairs? I was like, oh, now I have to do something about this stupid couch. And it's a heavy couch. Yeah. So I moved it downstairs. And then I had to put the legs on it, and I didn't. It just sat without legs for like three or four months, R literally months. And then Charlie was like, oh, we should use this couch for the podcast. I was like, ugh, this stupid couch. Uh, and so Ryan and Charlie put the legs on, we used it, and I was like, shoot, this is a great couch. <laughs> uh, and the reason I share that is because I can be very wrong. And, and I am so honored that so many people look to us for advice and wisdom and perspectives. Uh, I'm, I'm just so honored and thank you. But I want you to know like, like we're gonna be wrong about things. Like I was wrong about this couch. And so, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to teach true principles and to share the gospel as best as we understand it, but we're gonna be wrong about things. And so I just wanna invite everyone to always go to the source of truth uh, because God knew that we needed this couch, and he used Charlotte to get it for us. It was so fun to watch Ben eat crow when we recorded on the couch for the first time. I had to complain about this couch he for months. He was like, dang it, I hated this couch, but it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so um, th th just thank you for you know, your, your love and your support, and, and don't look to us, look, for, look to God. Yeah. So there are a lot of people here. There's going to be a mingle in this room next door. So stay till 930, make friends, eat some cookies, have some, I think there's lemonade maybe or water. I don't know. Uh, but just hang out, have a good time. Uh, Charlie and I are going to go out to the hallway and we have some copies of our books. If, if you want to uh, get a book and we'll sign it for you or you can just come and say hello. You don't have to buy a book. We just want to meet you. So thank you so much for coming.